And a very good evening from Damien O'Mara. You're very welcome to the Wednesday edition of Game On. Busy hour to come between now and 7 o'clock. We are going to chat uh, League of Ireland soccer, the FAI Cup final and much more in the company of Tim Clancy in just a minute. Uh, Damien Lawler with us as well to look at some of the big GA stories of the week. We're going to be chatting uh, later in the programme about the UFC and the MMA. And if you look around... A sport, a discipline, it's probably not getting quite the level of promotion that it once did, but there's plenty of Irish looking to make a name for themselves in the octagon, so we're going to chat to Pizzi Carroll about that. 51552 is our text number, or you can find us on social media at GameOn2FM. On 2FM. So it's good to have your company. Stay with us if you can between now and 7 o'clock. And as mentioned, former Drogheda United and St. Pat's manager Tim Clancy is with me in studio. How are you? Doing good, yeah. Good to see you. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, listen, I get the. I don't even know if it's an elephant in the room because with the nature of football, the, all these things are transient. Um, St. Pat's against Bowes in the Cup this weekend. Obviously, you were in Inchicore at the start of the year. It's ended for the players involved with a Cup final. Is it a strange week for you? No, not really. Um, I spoke to Dinty and the lads at uh, Pat's actually, funny enough, when I was there. Um, the history I have with Cup finals and in my playing career, um, it was inevitable that Pat's were going to get to the final and, and, and possibly win it this weekend. So give us the history. for So, so for people who, who have followed your career, like you had a, a great career in Scotland, but every time in particular Cup finals rolled around, some part of your body yeah, always well, seemed to jack it in. Yeah, I got injured for a few of them, but I normally join a club when, um, I joined Kilmarnock when they just got beaten by Hibs in a, in a League Cup final and, I spent four and a half years there and then six months after I leave they win the cup league cup against Celtic um, and I joined Motherwell a month after they were in a cup final against Celtic I joined Hibs when they were a month after the Hearts and then we got to the final against Celtic I got injured for that final and then went to St. Johnson and ruptured me Achilles the day before a Scottish cup final there as well So What can you do? Actually, listen, just if we do ever get to a cup final, we just have to take the week off. Yeah, or, or if if, uh, if a team you're involved in ever gets to a cup final, yeah, that's it. Just lock the doors, lock up the car park, keep them away from it. Um, how, is it, like, listen, when you've spent so much of your life in involved in football, are you, enjoy, I don't know if enjoying is the right phrase, are you, are you making the most of your time away from the game? Now, listen, anyone who's ever had the career the like of which you had, I presume the itch is still there to get back involved if the right thing rolls around. Yeah, it's, it's the longest I've gone, obviously, out of football since uh, I left school uh, well over 20 years ago now. So, um, yeah, I'd like to get back in. Obviously, you go around and you do a few club visits and you speak to people um, and how to upskill yourself, I suppose, in, in certain areas. And then uh, you're just hoping that you get an, uh, an opportunity again mm. um, to get back in. Do, are you, do you have to be critical on yourself then in terms of, like, given an open and honest assessment of how things went to Pat's, like, your most recent job, like, and what are the areas that you can use as the foundation for your next job going forward and equally where are the areas that perhaps you need to look upon to improve upon slightly yeah well you have to self-reflect um, it's no one else's fault um, where you are and if you, if you have that uh, outlook it's someone else's fault I don't think you'll ever improve yourself so it is a it, it's a massive part of self-reflecting see what you could have done better maybe what you could have done differently and um, you're hoping that when you, you get another job you take that experience with mm-hmm. you and you'll be successful in that one the scrutiny is Unbelievable! I don't know that people appreciate. Like we're, we're dealing with situations here. Like and you know, like I people, I don't hide away from the fact that you know, I don't get the opportunity to. Obviously, like Bose is a big part of my life, and I don't know that people appreciate looking from the outside in just how passionate people are about their clubs and how difficult that can be for a manager or the people that have to make the big decisions week in, week out. Like yeah. I remember, I remember talking to you in Tala after the Rovers game and. 
like you were very open on the TV that night about some of the stuff that was being said and speculation and everything else and at its core is a fellow trying to do his job and provide for his family and the outside noise is very very difficult to it is with. but it's it's that's society today it's um, it's very rare you'll get another job apart from sport really where everybody who's probably never taken part in sport maybe never played sport not qualified in it that uh, you can speak to people who have the highest qualification in that industry and they have the answers and you you, you have all the wrong uh, tactics and whatever else so it is it is a massive part of it but I don't think you can um, you can't really listen to it it's it's don't get too excited when they tell you you're good and don't mm. get too down when they tell you you're poor Is it important then to have like a core group of people that you can rely upon or people whose opinion you really value that you can actually use as a sounding board then? Yeah of course you, you, you speak to um, people that you'd respect in the game and Again, there's, I suppose, just cliches where you don't get too offended by opinions of people you'd never seek advice from. So, mm. um, But again, fans, they're the life and blood of every club and they just want the club to win and do well. So you, it's not coming from a bad place. I don't think it's yeah. ever personal. Um, you can't take it personal either. It's just a results-based business and people will say things and two days later if you've left the club they'll be wishing you well so yeah. it's, it's just the nature of the today's newspaper business. is yeah. tomorrow's fish and chips wrapper um, the thing that amazes me and you see it within the league is that there's great collegiality amongst the managers now listen there's rivalries I'm not going to say it's universal but there is like a kind of a little band of brothers of people who understand what it is that you're facing in terms of the challenges because like it is not an easy job to manage in the league with the resources that are at your disposal in some situations no definitely not I think um a lot of us are similar age as well and in a similar part of our career where we're starting off it might be our first or second job so we, we understand what we're going through um, I think as well we're probably going to touch on it the expectation and the ambition of clubs in the league is uh, probably a little bit off kilter at the minute I think that um, obviously the ambitions of clubs should be a lot higher than what the expectations are but it seems to be that the clubs like Dundalk at the minute uh, Stevie O'Donnell is uh, probably had a little bit of criticism this season um, I'm not sure how much Stevie can do um, I think there probably has to be a bit more uh, transparency between the, the, the clubs, the boards and, and fans to, to let them know exactly where the clubs are because same down at Sligo Rovers as well I think John's under a bit of pressure down there this season and fans expect him to challenge for league titles when I don't think it's a reality But the, the difference in a situation where if you say, like, if you look at we're now in a situation where Bowes and Sligo are really the only two members owned clubs or where the fans have a very significant say in the club and there's AGMs and there is that level of transparency that goes with that but very often there, you know you look at people look at clubs from the outside in and they'll say oh well St. Pat's and there's Garrett Kelleher's there or Dundalk and the Statsport and the other people who are involved are there the perception very often doesn't match the reality of what it is managers are dealing with and I, I don't is, is, is it in a way it's sometimes like the Wizard of Oz that you don't really realise what's going on behind the curtain and just how tight things can be yeah and again listen Pats were, were um, I think they're very lucky to have Gary Keller as a chairman he's, he's very generous uh, putting his hand into his pocket every year um, and he's been a very very successful businessman in, in, in multiple different avenues yeah. so um, but again when you're, when you're sort of answering to someone of that um, calibre um, it's it's difficult when you've got 20 something years experience and you've the highest qualification you can get in your industry and um, you need to be let do what you what you have mm. to do as well And um, but I'm, I'm thinking maybe more so from you, you mentioned like the Dundalk situation I think the reality of the financial situation behind the scenes at Dundalk is very different from what people might have looked at it from the outside in 
Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, a hundred percent. And again, Stevie has to then recruit from outside the country as well because I think the the wages in the in the league at the minute are um, extremely high. I'm not sure if it's going to be sustainable for yeah. a lot of clubs to be paying the wages that they are paying. Um, and yeah, it's just transparency to, to see where clubs are at. And I've no doubt that a lot of the clubs, Sligo, Bows, a lot of the clubs are really well supported. And if if clubs come out and say listen we're going to be going with a tighter budget and younger players to, uh, to develop them and sell them on the fans will get behind them anyway Yeah and but and that's like you're, you're touching on why this week from a Bose perspective in particular is so important like if Bose can win on Sunday qualify for Europe like it is such a game changer in terms of what Declan Devine's budget could be next season or the season after whoever you know like it's they're, it's like they're big games but they've big ramifications as well financially. When you look at the prize money that's available, within, like I think whoever wins the cup on Sunday, I think it's thirty-two grand. The runner-up gets sixteen grand. Like, sure, listen, you'd you know one round of Europe would blow that, could significantly blow uh, that one, out of the one water. One round you know? of Europe, and you're talking, um, it's two and a half times maybe yeah. the, for winning the league. So is, yeah, yeah, it's it's massive. And again, the the ramifications of maybe not qualifying for Europe, but I think uh, if you look on the the. The overall picture of the, the League of Ireland, I think Bowes are the, are the club that um, are taking massive strides forward. I think they're financially um, stable and self-sufficient, mm. um, and that's that's huge. It's huge. Again, it's not chasing the the glory first; it's getting the club in order first. Yeah, but I, 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 I think that came from a position where you know there has to be an honesty that the club came within hours of a hundred odd years of history disappearing. So, like that current sustainability has come from you know standing on the preface. Yeah, and again, it's it's something that I think every club should be doing. And you're looking out at the minute again. Drogheda have been punching well above their weight with, with Kev Doherty. He's been unbelievable like again this year, year, without a shadow of a doubt. I think me. so. Yeah. I think, um, and I know people talk about budgets and what their budget is. If they took a look at Kev's and what he's working with, um, they'd be absolutely shocked. Mm. It's it's it is the lowest. And again, there's going to be expectations now next season with Drogheda. But I hope it's 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 reality based. But listening to the owners and the, the you know what has come out from. The, the Americans who are looking to take over and obviously like they, they have a very good reputation at Walsall there's no sense as can be the case in situations like this we're going to come in and we're going to win the league in two years time and we're going to play in the group stages of the Europa League in four years time and we're going to do this there's been a great sense of honesty of we're not going to go pro next year because that's too much too soon and let's get our house in order in terms of like you would imagine you would hope the sensible way of approaching this is let's improve your training ground Let's then improve Weavers Park because that needs investment. And let's put it's like it's like going back to the old film Field of Dreams. If people are old enough to remember it, like just building it, and then hoping what will play will play. You know. Yeah, I think I think that's the important thing. Is um, they've come in, they're not making outrageous statements about wanting to win leagues and whatever uh, whatever else. If you look at Drada, um, if there is investment next year, they're the only part-time team next season. Yeah. Even if the Kev gets a double his budget, it'll still be the lowest in the league. So. Um, but it'll be a lot more competitive for Kev to, to work with and recruit the white, uh, sorry, the right players to come in. Um, What's the biggest difference between, like, and I, know, I know on the face of it it might seem like a ludicrous question, what's the biggest difference in terms of benefit for a manager from the part-time setups to the full-time setups? Is it like recovery and fitness and focus that every waking moment can just be about football rather yeah. than lads rushing in the door last minute with kit bags after dumping them from... Like whatever yeah, various I think, jobs. I, I think it's the recovery is the biggest thing. Um, when you're playing a maybe a Monday night game, uh, the full time teams might have a little recovery pool session Tuesday or even off on the Tuesday, and and the the part time players will be getting up doing their day to day job. Um, 
and it's probably the recovery contact hours in regards to on the pitch you might be missing out on maybe one session a week compared to the pro teams um, you're still putting a lot of hours in it's just the control and what the lads are doing um, away from football yeah and it's the difference of training in the evening after lads have done yeah. an 8 hour day and like you know compared to teams that can go in and have their breakfast together and spend more time together and the entire day is built around optimising that performance for a Friday evening 100% um, now I think a lot of the lads that, that are part time and playing I don't think like there's too many that are doing um, physical jobs yeah. in, in labouring and, and what not but it's still you're on your feet they might be working if they're sitting down for maybe even uh, 8 hours in an office it's stiffness then getting into a car and driving up the road to draw the training um, so I think what, what Kev's been doing the last couple of seasons has been mm-hmm. remarkable um, and again he's getting plaudits for it as well now and I think it's long overdue Can I just ask you about like the the fickle nature of it like we look at it from the outside in that um, like if Bowes don't win the cup final on Sunday there's going to be noise around Declan Devine now, some of that comes from the fact that they had such an impressive start in reality in a league where Rovers Derry and Pats were probably looking to peak around the time of the European games and the run in um, Stephen Bradley's just won four in a row and you know he's been very open about the fact that everything is not 100% behind the scenes Daniel McDonnell in The Independent has a story this evening that Shelburne's directors may be looking to try and buy out the Turkish shareholders who only came in the door a couple of weeks ago because of differences of opinion around Damien Duff's position going forward it's so fickle why get involved it's, it's why mad. put your head above it's it? mad but sure that's what that's what we're involved in the game for um, yeah I think Decky was probably the uh, master of his own downfall a little bit with seven wins out of nine to start of the season and it happened to coincide with Rovers not winning the first six mm. so um, he had an exceptional start at the start of the season uh, Decky and then listen he had probably a sticky part and he's got to a cup final um, even last kick of the ball or sorry half time the other day he's, he's close to getting fourth place was, which would have guaranteed Europe as well So it was such a strange experience yeah. to be in Daily Mount because you can hear the crowd reacting to the scores that are Draw coming from elsewhere and, yeah, then, yeah, and you know like, yeah, there was nearly a statue of Kev Doherty going up outside the new Daily Mount Park and that's, and that's what you're, you're thinking of you're, you're saying like he's very close to guaranteeing Europe through the league and then a cup final is in the back pocket to go and just try and get the first trophy mm. in, in a lot of years and now that uh, shells have pipped him to fourth all of a sudden now there's massive massive pressure on uh, Decky and Bowes on, on uh, Sunday yeah um, but yet the hunger is still there to get back involved again. I don't know anything else at the minute. So um, yeah, no, it is. It's, it's there's nothing better than. Did, uh, did you always want to be a manager? Um, yeah, I, th- I think I was, I was probably always looking at uh, being a manager and bit of a loud mouth myself and fairly opinionated uh, when I was in a dressing room as well. So I thought that um, I always wanted to go down that route. Um, getting dropped a job when I was 33 and I was still playing. Um, was possibly not the exact route I would have gone down mm. and would have preferred probably going underneath someone and get experience that yeah. way. But it's those sliding door moments of like, you know, Stephen O'Donnell leaves Pats after the cup final and like, you know, the cosmos kind of takes you in certain directions that you don't always expect to be in. No, and I think I think um, Brian Robinson's a big example of it when he was at Middlesbrough. Yeah. He was offered the England job and he said he didn't think he was ready. It doesn't come around again, so... It's a it's a sport where it's a, it's an industry where if you don't take your opportunities when they come, they mightn't come back. Did Pat's come too soon? Then do you think, or like when an opportunity like that presents itself and the job you've done at Drogheda, you know you have to back yourself, do you? Yeah, but I don't think we. I didn't do a bad job. No, Pat's no, no, I'm not, no. Um, when you look at the season, Stevie had they won the cup, obviously, and he got sixty-two points in the league um, last season, very late in the 
in the window we put a squad together um, we ended up with 61 points and then this season they finished in Europe again 62 points again it's seen as a good season so um, yeah again nine days before I got or sorry I left the club um, we were second in the league so it's it's, it's something fickle. Can, yeah, yeah it's fickle it can, it can change really quickly how finely balanced is Sunday? I think it's listen it's it's very very uh, tight game I think that if Pats can defend well um, and nullify the Bowes attack especially the transitions to attack they're very pacey and a lot of good players going forward I think that um, they could come out on top but it's it, it's there's obviously more pressure on Bohemians like and it's how you deal with that situation mm. particularly if you concede because Pats have had such like by their standards like I, the cup is never a bonus because it's such an important part like over 40,000 tickets sold it's phenomenal yeah it's brilliant I, th- I do I, I think that's right yeah I think it's uh, I know Dinty will be going into the game with the with the Pats players. Um, this is John Daly. Yeah, for people, yeah. Yes, no, 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 no less wanting to win the game or um, not preparing as well as they should be. He's he's meticulous with his preparation. He's an unbelievable coach and he's doing very very well as well as a manager. And um, but I think there's probably a little bit less pressure now that mm. they've guaranteed Europe. Um, Pats have only won the cup two years ago, so it's fresh in the memory. Because I, I mean, it's like it's interesting to see so much of the narrative around it. Like the you know, Bose Pats did their media day today. Bose did their media day. I think it was on Monday, and it's very difficult when you're a player to be answering questions about it's 2008 since you've last won this, and you talk about Bose see themselves as the big club, the originals, everything else. Like even the narrative around that adds to the pressure because you can be as psychologically strong as you want to be you're aware that you're part of a group that can end what by the standards of a club of that expectation is too long a wait for silverware which is like how big a landmark like we look at the, the cup in recent years like it was a springboard for Shamrock Rovers to go on Dundalk previously like Rory Higgins would tell you he wanted it to be a springboard for Derry to push on as well like it, it appears to have been such a collective weight off the shoulders for Pats to get over the line in a couple of years back yeah, and it's that's sort of where Bowes are at the minute. I think uh, you hit the nail on the head there. I think Stephen getting the FEI Cup and ending the thirty year odd uh, wait for it was the catalyst for them to kick on. But I think that came with um, a couple of the players from Dundalk that they got into the Rover squad at that stage, who are had won league titles and World Cups and played in Europe, and they had that experience. Um, you look into the the Bohemians dressing at the minute. Maybe they don't have that at the yeah, minute. Yeah, like Keith Buckley, like the the very fact that he won't be on the pitch yeah. in terms of the leadership that he brings. Like you're, you're looking at Jordan Flores took a heavy knock last Friday night. That you do look around. If it came to lads that you want to be in the trenches with, Pats probably have more lads who have that psychological awareness of what could take them over the line. I think someday. so, but I think uh, it's unfortunate for Bucko. I played with Keith at uh, Bray, brilliant lad, um, and he's excellent in the group. Um, and he is the leader of that dressing room but it gives an opportunity maybe for young James McManus to come in he's been exceptionally player good of the year exceptionally yeah. good for uh, Bowes and he's a player that can get on the ball and break lines and, and find passes and that's where um, Bowes are going to have to be very good on, on, on Sunday oh, We're going to move on and do a few other bits and pieces you're going to stay with us to chat maybe Champions League later but the, the real pressure of the week should we be really talking about Waterford and Cove and that playoff final? I think when you look at it on paper probably the the Head will say it's uh, Cork because they've beaten them three 0 in the cup. Um, they're the Premier Division team. Oh, sorry, yeah, Cork. Yeah. Uh, if, yeah. If you look, sorry at the at the situation with the manager. I think when Colin Healy left and Liam Buckley went in as director of football, sporting director, and I think they came out as a club and said they wanted Liam upstairs and not in the in the mm. dugout. And he ended up in the dugout for four months or yeah. so, and then results weren't going well. He stepped back, and Richie Holland's been thrown into a cup semi final, a few league games, and. 
They're an absolute massive... Um, because when we talk about the status of both clubs, like two proud footballing areas, footballing clubs, who will see that they belong in the top flight of Irish football. Yep, and that's, uh, I think, the start of the year, I think some of the noise from Cork was um, they wanted a challenge for Europe this year, so the way the season's gone, and they're a very, very talented young squad, and I think they just needed maybe stability in there when Colin left to get uh, confidence back into them and a bit of guidance for a young team and it's a big big game with a lot of pressure now um, against Waterford Who does it benefit in terms of like it seems to be such a long drawn out process to try and find the team from the first division now and I know you know people can talk about the scheduling of it but like it always seems to me that the first division team is at such a disadvantage Yeah well, well listen we came through that route at, at Drada we failed on a couple of occasions mm. in the playoffs and it's actually it's less games now. It used to be two games in yeah. the playoff final. It was never um, ending. Yeah, it was it was two in the fourth v second or whatever it was, and then fourth v fifth, and then two in the final of the playoff, and then the one off in the in the Premier Division game. So it's an extra five games onto the league. Um, now we only played twenty seven games back then. So, but again, I think Waterford had been in this position now for maybe two three months. Mm. They knew they were going to finish second. Um, so it's been a difficult one for them to prepare for. But I think they'll go into the game full of confidence. And again, Keith will be looking to get it back into the Premier Division with, with Waterford. Brilliant. Stay with us, uh, Tim. Thanks so much for your, your insights so far. We've much more still to come in the programme. We'll chat Champions League uh, and more later on. We've a quick break to take in Damien Lawler with GAA after this. Stay with us. Game on on 2FM. Uh, we're chatting there with Tim about the FAI Cup final and I forgot that I would like to give one of you the opportunity to head to the Aviva Stadium this Sunday to watch that uh, Sports Direct uh, FAI Cup final featuring Bowes and St. Pat's. We have a pair of tickets to give away on the show today to be with a chance to win all you have to do is answer the following question. Which team are the current holders of the FAI Cup? I don't know if we gave away the answer in that last chat, but uh, which team are the current holders of the FAI Cup? You can text your answer, followed by your name, your county and your email address to 51552 and we will announce the lucky winner before the end of the programme. And as always, competition terms and conditions apply and you can see 2fm.ie. So which team are the current holders of the FAI Cup? Uh, text your answer, followed by your name, the county and the email address to 51552. Game on. GAA. And you're very welcome back to the programme. Time for us to chat about some of the big stories of the week in Gaelic Games. Damien Lawler uh, is with us as he is uh, each Wednesday evening. Damien, how are you? Good evening, Damien. I'm good, thanks. Good, good to talk how to you. Are you. Thanks, not too bad at all. Thanks for being with us as always. Um, listen, I, I know at this stage, uh, whether they might like to admit it or not or would be publicly able to talk about it, uh, inter-county managers well and truly into the 2024 season and planning has started in earnest for the league, which will be on top of us yeah. uh, before we know it. Um, is it going to be the last league as we recognise it with changes to come the year after? That's a really good question, Damien. Um, possibly, yes. From 2025 onwards, there is, there is a potential restructuring of the National Hurling League. And uh, I think one of the things that's coming through uh, nearly on a 60% mandate is that there will be two seven-team top-tier, uh, top-flight divisions uh, with two up and two down. So uh, that, that appears to be on the cards. And also then what kind of crept out of the closet, um, pretty low-key, was the fact that five fifth-tier counties uh, may not be exposed to uh, league hurling from 2025 onwards uh, for, for, a, for a certain period if Central Council take a decision in December to give that proposal the green light, Damien. Um, what that proposal is basically to confine Cavan, Fermanagh, Leitrim, Longford and Louth to Laurie Maher Cup hurling only from, 2020, from 2025 onwards. 
the reason being that they've got five, they've got less than five adult hurling teams, and there would be a chance for them to get back into the league, but only if they could. Uh, field five adult hurling teams in the county for a period of three years, Damien. So, so that's definitely definitely a move that has you know, it's, it's caught some of the people in those counties uh, unawares. That's the truth mm. of it. But the, the issue at the, the core of all this is if we talk about growing the game, and you look at like a number of leading lights whose opinions on the game you would value, like the likes of Liam Sheedy recently talking about the concerns he sees for the sport of hurling. Yeah. Are you are you restricting the growth of the game if you tell certain counties based on very simple metrics, sorry lads, you're not big enough to be at the party with the big boys? Uh, Central, uh, The Central Competitions Controls Committee would argue that, well, they wouldn't argue. They've listened to the counties involved. They've taken on board feedback over a year, year and a half. And the narrative is coming from some of those counties. Now, not everybody in those counties is in agreement, but it's coming from uh, administrators in those counties, or at least some of them, uh, that there was a cumulative spend of 863000 in those five counties alone on senior inter-county hurling panels only. And... Basically, a lot of people are, are arguing they can't afford such a spend, mm. certainly when there's very limited gate receipts coming back in. And it keeps going back to the key point, in those counties, there are less than five adult hurling teams. In fact, uh, in a number of those counties, there are only two adult hurling teams. So the question needs to be asked, is that money being spent in the right way? Certain people will argue that it's not. However, there is a, you know, let's be honest about it, Damien, the players involved in those squads, they'll want to play Alliance exactly. League hurling. Yeah. No doubt about that. The the diehards that keep hurling going in those counties will want exposure to the Allianz League as well. There's absolutely no doubt about that. So that vote in December is going to be in for some bit of a battle. Now, there's a couple of elements to it. Uh, you would lose three months uh, of your competitive season. The GEA uh, say that that time can instead be focused on putting an emphasis on, on a grassroots hurling in those counties. By that, I mean grants to schools, grants for equipment, more coaches, um, more help at, at ground level. Uh, the cynics will argue how will that be implemented or sustained or policed. Uh, and then there's another argument then that the GEA are making that over a period of six years, one million euro can be redirected back towards those projects by not having those teams in the league. So, look, it's a catch-22 situation. Is hurling thriving? Is it growing enough? Is it being spread enough in those counties? The number of clubs will tell you that no, it's not. Um, however, you know, it's our national game. Uh, you don't want to see it curtailed in any shape or form. But maybe maybe the, the angle that the GEA will go on if they want to get us through Central Council in December is give it a trial for a period of years and see can tangible improvements be made. Mm-hmm. And certainly, I know from hearing from county boards at ground level, even football counties, Damien, whereby they've got a huge spend out there uh, with very limited gate receipts coming back in, they're under massive financial pressure. And that's the bottom line. But but the, the, the extension of that then is, if, if you're a young fella in Cavan, Fermanagh, Leitrim, Longford and Loud, if there's no one there to be the hero, then there's no one there to create the ambition that exists within you to try and emulate them. So there would be a mm. risk that if the wheels fall off the wagon in terms of a development plan or an investment mm. scheme, that you're effectively killing off the game completely in those five counties. Or, yeah, is, is, or is, is that overly dramatic? No, no, not at all. I mean, well, look, I mean, they'll still have the Laurie Mara Cup, but like that competition can be run over a number of weeks. Yeah. Um, and, and look, I, I was at the 
Champion 15 awards in Crow Park a couple of weekends ago and you saw unbelievable stalwarts like Andy O'Brien from Wicklow, Niall Garland from Monaghan, Jack Regan from Meath, all getting their Player of the Year awards, all getting their day in the sun. Uh, he- heroes do exist in those counties, like the likes of Niall Arthur was shooting the lights out for Louth not so long ago. He was a, a double All-Ireland under 21 winner with Clare. You know, and, and the gospel has been spread. Um, I think if, if, you're being, if you're looking at it practically, is there enough love for hurling in, in certain places to, to justify, uh, you know, keeping those teams going? Uh, can county boards afford the spend that goes on it? All these questions are going to be asked, but, but look at, you know players and I know players, mm. they will want to play. And you would imagine the GPA will have a fair amount to say on this issue before it goes to a vote uh, in Central Council in December. But the one thing you have to say is, it's a CCCC recommendation, but it only comes on the back of 18 months of prolonged interaction and engagement with those counties. So, look, there are obviously going to be internal battles in in those counties as well. And I've already had a few people from those counties onto me today saying, hang on now, we didn't know too much about this. We want our side of the story across too. So it's going to be a feisty few weeks to Christmas on that front alone. Um, To move on and talk about managerial appointments, um, 14 years ago, a young, impressionable man set out on a journey with the Waterford footballers and created a book off the back of it. I I don't know whatever happened to him (laughs) since. (laughs) Something, Damien Lawler. Um, (laughs) Waterford... Waterford, Ah, no, it's at all. It's a belter of a read. Um, um, Waterford in a real sticky situation because they are now the only team in the country planning for 2024 without a managerial team in place. Yeah, Damien. And look, that's they always have a, a spot close to my heart anyway after the, the year I spent with them in 2009 and, and the book I wrote. Um, and like, it's it, it, it pains me to see, first of all, I know the talent that's there at club level. Now, um, the problem is most people in Waterford who play GEA want to play hurling for the county. It's not much different to Tipperary, but you've got maybe more love for football in Tipperary. Um, you know, certainly there's pockets of football in Waterford that could produce club players as good as anybody in Ireland, but the majority of people want to play hurling and they'd rather nearly play club hurling rather than county football. That's the bottom line. When Ify Fitzgerald took over two years ago, Damien, he had eight players at his first training session. When I was there writing the book, um, Jackson Kiley was the manager and an infectious character carried you with him. I got unbelievable. I nearly out of the, the books I've done that. I, I really enjoyed that so much because you saw the human stories yeah. that went into it. You saw all the people putting their private, li- private lives aside, the massive effort. Um, I, I watched them, you know, beat Cavan. I, I watched them come close to league promotion. I watched them go toe to toe with some top teams. And they never had their full complement. Gary Hurney and Shane Waltz were on the Waterford senior hurling team at the time. And they, they did come back and try and help the inter-county panel in football. But the bottom line is Waterford football never have access to their full strength panel. If they did, they would be a match for, for anybody in the, top, in the bottom two tiers. There's no doubt about that. They would have a chance to win an Italian Cup. They really would if they got their full complement together. But the, the question is asked there... You know, in terms of gave receipts, what's that championship bringing in? What's the cost of the inter county football uh, senior spend and the under 20s and the minors? They found it very hard to pick up any wins, any points. Uh, Ify Fitzgerald, and they nearly bet to bury in the Talchin Cup this year. Ify Fitzgerald brought them really up to a competitive level, but the, the points, the victories, the success weren't really coming. And they're struggling to get a manager. And, you know, it's not just, it's not just Waterford, other counties in, in Tier 4. And in, in D Tier 3 are struggling to get a, a candidate because 
even though the Salshan Cup has come in, there, there is an apathy uh, among players in certain counties. Travel has become a big thing. You yeah. heard today, at least footballers, three or four gone away. Every every manager in Tier 3 and Tier 3, Tier 4 is going to have to cope with that as well. So, yeah, th- there's not a manager there at the minute. I think the Waterford County Board will really hope to appoint one soon. But it is going to be a struggle for them, Damien. There's no point in saying otherwise. Yeah, there's six used copies of Working on a Dream, a year on the road with the Waterford footballers, available on Amazon.com. $21 it'll set you back, but it's worth every... $21? Yeah. There wow. you go. I, I, See, I, didn't problem, my had, I didn't know my mum had hiked the price See, up the, so the, much. The problem is they're used copies, so you've already had your residual or whatever it is, <laughs> you, your your royalty payment on it. Trust um, me, there wasn't, there wasn't a huge amount yeah. of that. You can trust me on Anyway, that. uncertainty in Waterford, certainty in um, Limerick Camogie, and one of the great characters and one of the great legacies of Limerick hurling taking over the Camogie team next year. One of the great characters and one of the great personalities in the GEA, Joe Quaid is back in charge of an inter-county team was in charge of the Kildare Camogie side this year, you know, obviously had uh, a spell with Westmead Hurlers, brought them to the top flight, gained league promotion, had a spell with the Kildare Hurlers, uh, won a Christie Ring title, had a spell with the, with the Limerick Camogie team, won an All-Ireland Intermediate title, had a spell with the Limerick Under-16s, won an All-Ireland title with those, helped a lot of them get up the ladder. He's back in charge now, himself and Willie Banks, taking over the Limerick Camogie team, uh, the senior Camogie team. That appointment was made last night. And, you know, Joe will be great for the, the profile of, of the game. He'll be great for the profile of Limerick. He's got a really uh, good backroom team around him. Uh, you know, all, all the boxes ticked, uh, stats, goalkeeping coach, uh, assistant coach, head coach. And I think, um, I think he'll be great for the, the promotion of the game. And that's an ongoing thing that Camogie faces too because it might have been eclipsed by LGFA uh, over the past decade. But Camogie starting to get its own space too, Damien. Mm-hmm. It's starting to get up. Uh, the game has improved as a spectacle. And I think Joel, Joel have a really enjoyable time there. It's on his doorstep. Uh, he's a former coaching officer with the county board. So there's very little about the county that he doesn't know. And it'll be an exciting time for Limerick as well. Uh, just to finish, um, for a lot of people, Crow Park is kind of consigned to history until uh, the 2024 yeah. Leinster Championships or Provincial or the you know All-Ireland Championship rolls around. Um, it's had a bit of a spring clean or we can expect it to have had a bit of a spring clean by the time uh, a lot of people visit it once again. Definitely, the Cusick stand has been uh, redeveloped and, and re, uh, rejuvenated. Uh, it will be like that for the next six months, um, but by the time 2024 championship starts, it will be in full swing again. And I guess, look, everybody will go into Crow Park and say, this is a fabulous stadium, the facilities are top class. Uh, GEA felt the Cusick stand needed a, a bit of a, you know, a, a face wash, uh, a lot of work going into the, the premium corporate lounges, a lot of work going into the bathrooms. There'll be a big emphasis on the in terms of the halls and the corridors of the Cusick stand on the volunteer element. Uh, there'll be a big focus placed on that. And I suppose when you talk about Michael Cusick, you're, you're talking about the ultimate volunteer for the GEA. So um, uh, it's a £12 million project, uh, but Crow Park always maintained that when the new Crow Park was reopened, the maintenance started the first day the stadium gates opened. And it's been like that ever since. The pitch has constantly been maintained. Uh, and I think now Cusick stand, you'll see... Uh, You'll see a, a spanking new Cusick stand uh, next year, but it, it'll be aimed as much as continuing on the Monday to Friday business as, as much as the Saturday and Sunday as well, Damien. So I think it's just a, a constant project that will need regular and sustained uh, maintenance and redevelopment and rejuvenation as time goes on. It's, it's like that story about the Golden Gate Bridge that I don't know how true it is that they finish painting one end of it on a Friday and they start the other <laughs> end on a Monday. I, I see. I, I see they're yeah. going to they're, they're going to sell a limited number of the seats in sets of two, which um, 
you know, it'd be there'd be a student, yeah. spot, there'd be there'd be digs or you know a squat somewhere around town. You know, <laughs> lads living together in, you know, eating eating pot noodle on two seats from the Cusack stand. The way so. things are going, you couldn't rule it out. There you go. There's there's Christmas sorted now for yourself and myself. You know, uh, Damien, thanks for your time as always. Chat to you again soon. Thank you, Damien. Two FM. And you're very welcome back to the programme. We are going to come back to soccer chat with Tim in a couple of minutes' time, but we're going to focus uh, on MMA, something we've probably not spoken about uh, on the programme an awful lot uh, of late. And delighted to say Pizzi Carroll uh, joins us. Pizzi, how are you? I'm great, lads. Thanks so much for having me back. You know, I was getting that sinking feeling there for the last few you know, years. When am I going to get the call? We don't ring. And it's finally come through. We don't call. We don't this. We don't that. Well, come here. Let me ask you a question then to start off with, right? Um... We had a situation a couple of years ago when, say, Conor McGregor broke new ground and Cahill Pendred and, you know, Ash, you know, there were so many names would run off the tongue so swiftly. Where's the love affair beyond the hardcore MMA enthusiasts? Where's the relationship between the Irish sporting public and MMA at? I don't think it's in a good place at all, to be quite honest. You know, I think that McGregor became so big in his pomp and he was obviously tremendous at the time we're talking 2013 to 2017 he was something that the MMA world had never seen before and I feel like it took a long time for the broader Irish kind of culture and consciousness to take him on board and then as soon as they did I think he kind of went a bit off the walls and you know he started getting involved in things outside of the octagon and this is a guy that's one of the most rec- recognisable Irish people alive you know if, if I'm in a different country covering a fight and I tell people I'm from Ireland the first thing they say is Conor McGregor mm. maybe 20 years ago that would have been U2 yep. or Guinness or something like that or Riverdance and I think yes yes and I think it got to a stage where people in Ireland just got fed up with it and I think MMA's reputation has kind of been sullied because of that you know, when people think about MMA, they immediately think of McGregor. But when we get underneath the bonnet of it as it stands, there is a really strong depth of Irish talent that is out there and a number of Irish fighters who have the potential and maybe in some cases the likelihood of headlining UFC cards and, and generating quite strong careers for themselves within that franchise. Absolutely. But... Uh, First of all, there will never be another Conor McGregor. I don't think the UFC want there to be another Conor McGregor. He got so big, he became bigger than the organization. And unlike boxing, the UFC don't want that. They don't want the fighters to be bigger than the brand. Mm. And maybe that's something got to do with this class action lawsuit they're facing in April 2024 um, with thousands of fighters that could be worth up to $5 billion if it goes to trial. Maybe that's why, you know, this is a, a system that really does exploit fighters that are entering the promotion. But as you say, we do have a strong cast of Irish fighters in the UFC. One in particular is Ian Gary. He is, without a doubt, the greatest fighter we have seen in the UFC since McGregor. He is a finisher. He is slick. I don't think the general public have warmed to him the way they did uh, with McGregor on his initial ascent. But he is a special, special talent. And I do believe that if the UFC come back here, and there is lots of talk about that, maybe next year, he will be the headline guy. And we have a supporting cast right now of Caelan Lochran, Sean O'Bannon, Kiefer Crosby and Reese McKee. So it is quite a healthy situation that uh, Irish MMA is in terms of the UFC. But will we see that success ever repeated? 
what McGregor did, mm. I, I highly doubt that. Yeah, I highly the, doubt yeah, it. The, the sport is unlikely to see that. But you, you talk there, you know, the UFC, obviously Cage Warriors has been the, the breeding ground, Bellator likewise. The, the, the big mystery of all for a lot of people is Paul Hughes and, and a name that has been spoken about so much, but is one who is yet to be lured into one of the promotions. Yeah, I mean, he's an exceptional talent. Paul Hughes, I saw him debut in Belfast, I'd say it was five years ago, and he went in, this guy I'd never heard of, and he put away like a, you know, an established veteran that was about 30 years of age. I think Paul was 18. He broke his hands shortly after the debut, and there was a lot of concern as to whether this guy would ever fight again. He has since gone on to claim the featherweight title with Cage Warriors. He has beaten guys that have gone to the UFC. Meanwhile, he is still in Cage Warriors. He recently returned and won a fight at lightweight. But this is the guy. This is the guy that everybody's wondering. Why isn't he in there? He's a fantastic fighter. Before Ian Gary was signed to the UFC, there were both in Cage Warriors. And the conversation we always had among the media, among the fans was, which one of these guys is better? Mm. You know, both of these guys are so special and to think that Ian has now fought six times in the UFC or will fight six times in the UFC when he fights in December and Paul still hasn't made his debut it, it's absolutely unfathomable I, I have no idea I have wrecked Paul's head ringing him asking him what's going on he doesn't know either but hopefully the win last month in Dublin at the RDS will be enough to secure him the contract we're just kind of waiting with bated breath to hear that confirmation um, we, we mentioned the, the potential for a return for the UFC to Dublin obviously we've had plenty of Bellator shows uh, PFL step in to take their place um, is there a challenge for promoters for events in, in Dublin in particular just to shake these cards up that they don't just become ones that are dominated by like local fighters facing off against each other time and time again that the, the, the well needs to be deeper than perhaps what we saw on some of those Bellator shows Absolutely, and I couldn't agree with you more. And to be honest, there are too many promotions now coming to Dublin. I mean, we have everyone wanting to do events here, and it's at a point of saturation. I mean, it's going to be the, like a lot of the people who fought in Bellator will now be looking for contracts with the PFL. The rumours are that the PFL are buying Bellator. The PFL make their first kind of big event here on December 8th at 3 Arena. And unfortunately, I don't think it's going to sell well because... First of all, we don't have the brand recognition that Bellator eventually established, but a lot of the fighters are unknown. And PFL are doing great things in Europe. They've had three events already this year, and they were a roaring success. But unfortunately, this Dublin card was meant to be the big one, the big piece, the resistance, but they don't seem to have the names or the name value to, to fill that arena. And I think they're going to struggle to get it halfway, the way it stands at the moment. So really... Look, Irish MMA, it's always going to be a thing. It's always going to be a big thing. It's going to be attached to the mythology of McGregor. McGregor looking perhaps to return in April for that big UFC 300 event. So, I mean, I think people will continue to come back here. But really, I think a lot of the promotions will be coming in on a loss if they aren't selling out that arena or coming close to it. And that has been the trend of late. Yeah, Pizzi, we're going to have to leave it there. We won't leave it as long until the next chat, I promise you. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, lad. All the best. Carroll with us there. Um, another big fight tomorrow night. Callum Walsh, who fights in Madison Square Garden in boxing, but he's a, a talent who's been seen as one who could well span and uh, transcend UFC in times to come. Uh, Tim Clancy's still with me in studio. Um, it, it's Listen, it's a, a week is a long time in football. An hour is a long time in football as well. Um, suggestions, Daniel MacDonald from the Irish Independent reporting um, earlier this evening that 
talks were in place for the Irish directors of Shelburne to buy out the Turkish investment, which had only arrived in the club a matter of weeks ago. Uh, David Snade, who's a, a regular contributor on this programme, who'd also be very well placed, reporting this evening that uh, the Turkish investor, the owner of Hull, may waive his interest in the club back to the Irish directors without a fee being paid. It's a remarkable story if that's that proves to be the case. It will be uh, very interesting how that plays out over the next few days um, and the implications it will have on Shells' budget next year. There was going Which to be obviously, yeah, there was yeah. obviously going to be investment into the playing side of things uh, for next season. Because, so because Damien Duff had spoken, yeah, Damien had spoken very openly at the end of the game on Friday about not knowing what the situation was with his contract and a number of players being out of contract as well. And I think the, the challenge you have with a situation like this is when you become one of a number of affiliate clubs, it's understandable that the owner or the director of football at the biggest of those clubs wants to have a say on the style of play and what it is players are exposed to if they start to loan players from the, the mother club to the affiliate clubs. Yeah, and again, you don't know um, if that's a situation at Shells, but I can't imagine Damien um, taking that instruction from um, Hull or if, if, if it is the case. Um, and it could possibly be if that was it, that maybe they want to put one of their own play- uh, sorry, coaches in place to get experience. Yeah. Over here, but it's it's remarkable to invest so much in a club for a sixty percent stake a couple of weeks ago and then walk away from it. Just goes to show you the levels that some businessmen operate at that uh, you you and I can only ever dream of. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's, it's interesting. Um, Champions League tonight: uh, Manchester United away to FC Copenhagen. Bayern Munich host Galatasaray in the other game. Um, in that group, like it's you know the focus it's on Man United of late like that's such a crucial game for them to get a result away to Copenhagen, who you know they can likely eliminate from the group very quickly and for United to get back into the mix with Bayern and Galatasaray yeah, it's it's um, it's a strange situation that you're you're thinking that it's a must win game just to get out of the group and, and that's seen as an achievement League, yeah. yeah it's seen an achievement whereas um, Man United were where Man City are and it was a foregone conclusion that to get through the group it's just whether they finish top or second um, so shows it shows the, the place where Man United are at the minute and by all accounts, looking from the outside in, it looks like it's a mess. Arsenal at home to Sevilla. They're obviously flying high. Two wins from three games played so far. What do you make of Arteta and his... I don't even want to call them outbursts. His passionate um, displays in the media over the course of the last week. Yeah, I think uh, there's been a, a few things from earlier on the season. The comments that he's made is that there's going to be mistakes and now it's coming back to bite him because they're on the end of it. and They've obviously had a brilliant start to the season but I think they've lost a, a few in the last few weeks and... It could be just pressure um, getting to uh, Arteta at the minute, but again, I think it's a, it's a game they should win tonight at home and should cement them into the knockout stages. What are your views on VAR? It's, it's, I think it's for the for the right thing to do in football, but there's human error again. Yeah, There's always going to be human error, and I think if it's just a clear, is it for a goal, is it for a penalty grant, but they're now looking for things not to allow goals, and... As Postacoglu said there, he goes, they're a high-energy, high-attacking teams, but they're, he, he, they're waiting for two minutes for... But he's decisions. the real winner in all this because he has come out now as the sensible voice of reason over the course of the week about there are people doing a job. And listen, it comes back to... You touched upon it at the, the start of the programme. You know, there's managers with pro licences who are being, you know, abused by fellas who've stood on terraces for a number of years. There's a similar situation with referees where an awful lot of people pass comment not actually understanding the laws of the game. Yeah, there's a... A lot of a lot of the, the information that um, gets put out as well, you, you will see it. Like there's, I was looking at something the other day. I think it was there was a game going on, and people couldn't understand that. Uh, I think it was a it was at the Bayern and Dortmund game the weekend, and Harry Kane went down, got treatment, but the other player was booked. And he didn't have to leave the pitch, 
and you can see loads of the fans giving out that he never left the pitch after receiving treatment but um, there's certain rules in the game that probably the the fan mightn't understand it and mm. again I think that the, the, the officials get so much criticism it's it's not healthy Before I let you go um, Celtic uh, like obviously you know you, you spent so much of your career in Scotland um, it's a real rude awakening for Celtic fans and players alike the jump it takes to go from the SPL to have and again it comes back to ambition versus realistic expectation but a fairly chastening experience in Madrid last night It was but again if you put the stats on the on, on, on the paper in front of you and I think Simeone's wage covers everybody at Celtic. Yeah. So that's the so reality. That's, that's, that's before you even get onto the pitch. Yeah. Their manager's uh, wages a week covers all the players and staff at Celtic. So, again, expectation. Celtic have a prior tradition in, uh, in European football, but when they were getting results at the turn of the century, um, their top earners weren't too far off the Premier League. Okay. We need to go. Better the Silvers on the way. Congratulations to James Smith from County Leash, who wins two tickets to Sunday's FAI Cup final after telling us that Derry of course are the reigning holders of the FAI Cup Tim it's been great company for the last hour thanks so much for being with us pleasure thanks we for having put me you off. off no good stuff uh, Bed is on the way Laurelie Davies was our broadcast coordinator Andrew O'Connor produced from Damien it'll be chat again Good night.